Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. We are going to pause our series in Revelation. We're going to just sort of hit pause for a bit. And the reason for that is every time I began to work toward it, I would sit down and start to unpack it and get excited about what God was showing me. But at the same time, I had a check in my spirit over and over again. And I had plans for this fall, plans to dive through Revelation. And then I was going to do a series on human identity and sexuality and the design of God, which is an important thing that we need to talk about in our day. Amen? However, I got into it, and every time I'd set forward toward the Word, I'd have a check in my spirit over these last few weeks and even month. And God is beginning to just shape something different I want to talk about today. But I I felt this great need as a pastor. Just let me speak from the heart for a minute. I, I, I felt this great need as a pastor over the last year and a half to really dive into the complexity and difficulty of our day. I mean, these are unprecedented and difficult and challenging times, are they not? I mean, it is confusing to navigate in this world as a person who doesn't have faith in Jesus, let alone trying to reconcile your faith in Jesus with the complexities of this world. I mean, you watch the news for a week and your head will spin. I was thinking about like if an alien family took a road trip to to planet Earth and they landed in North America and just tried to make sense of what's important to us and what we think about things, and they just sort of observed us for just last week, and they watched the news, and they watched the American news feed and the Canadian news feed, and they went through social media, what would they say about us? They'd say they're dazed and confused, and we don't need to plan an invasion. They're doing just fine on their own. We'll just wait. Like if they watch the American news, they'd try to get a feel for our politics and our values, and they'd say, well, this one side, this blue party, they seem to really value a woman's right to choose. They have the saying, my, my body, my right. And then, but they're also promoting vaccine mandates, which doesn't really sound like the same thing. We're a little confused on that. And then they watched Canadian politics, and they listened to these guys in their debate, and they saw one guy say he's a feminist, and then one guy say, I don't care about Canada at all. I really just care about this one province. And they're just trying to figure out to make sense of it all. And then they're just watching the news and they're trying to figure it out and they're saying, well, these guys are really confused. These are confusing, confusing times. We've got race issues and social issues and economic issues and virus issues and vaccine issues. To vaccine or not to vaccine, that is the question. The world is problematic. It's a hot mess. And so is the church. And that's been the hard part for me in the last, like, year and a half. The church is just in this challenging space because you you might not know this or not. Like, you guys here at the Valley or you guys at West or online, you all don't agree with each other. Crazy, right? Like, I could could take a hot take on the vaccine right now and half of you would be happy with me and half of you want to kill me. I mean, we are not aligned. We are pretty, pretty near as confused and upside down and inside out and backwards as the world is. And it has been a very challenging time. And we've been brought like to this space where we haven't been able to gather. Doing the Christian thing has been very hard, or Christianity as we've known it most of our lives. And it's been a confusing time for the church. Many people have fallen away and fallen off entirely from their faith. There's an epidemic of deconstruction. Like people think this is the first time people have ever deconstructed their faith. There's all these things just swarming the church right now. And let's just even zoom in a little further. It's not just that the world is a hot mess or the church is a hot mess. I'm a hot mess. 
Anybody else honest in church today? There's so many things I don't have good answers for. So many big problems, so many things that are bigger than me. There's family and relational things. My family, just like your family, has gone through things. You know, I'm, I'm a person too, right? I've gone through the struggle of being a pastor just like, I, I, this isn't a very comfortable statistic, but something like 70% of pastors in the last year and a half have contemplated a career change. I am one of them. No, I'm not quitting, just Relax. But I've entertained those daydreams of maybe I can't do this. I don't have good answers. I don't know what kind of model we need. I don't know what programs we need. I've never led a church this large at this time in this place with this level of complexity. I have no idea. And I've come to the end of my answers. And I don't know about you and your world, but that's how I've felt for like 16 months. Just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell you whether you should get a vaccine or not. I don't, I don't, my politics are messed up. I'm just in this head spin. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? But the last four or five weeks, I've been on this little bit of a journey with God, and, and he started to whisper something into my spirit. He started to bring me back to 2012. And 2012, for some of you, you don't, you don't know our story or my story, but that was when my life changed dramatically. You see, on a, on a weekend in September, in fact, nine years ago this weekend, our church just hit a wall and was brought to virtual ruin. I mean, in shambles. Our plans were broken. Our, our projects were broken. All of our long-term you know, projections were gone, and we were just sort of left in the rubble of what had just happened. And in that moment, the Lord began a work that out of the ashes, this church was reborn. And, and it was that way in my own life. I had a dream in August of 2020 before anything happened, a dream where I was forced to go onto this boat and this boat was driving away from shore and I was getting all anxious in my dream. And I woke up in a cold sweat and I heard the voice of the Lord say, son, I'm driving you into something. You have no control over it. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. And then through those next few months, our church went through that season, and God taught us a lesson of focus. He taught us a lesson of focus. He took us through, and this was kind of our central text in that day, and this is what God has been reminding me of in these last few weeks, this, this picture of Mary and Martha where Jesus comes to Mary and Martha's house, and Martha is there welcoming him in and taking care of him, but we, we find out that Mary, her sister, was sitting at Jesus' feet just just beholding him, just in front of him. And like, for those of you who are, you know, you're, you're, you're responsible people, you're getting mad at Mary, just like I am. She's a freeloader. She's not doing her job. You know, help out, lady. And Martha's like just freaking out too. She's trying to get everything ready. And here's her freeloading sister just sitting there beholding Jesus, not doing her part. And so she comes, Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Are you anxious and troubled about many things? I have been. The NIV says you're, you're worried and upset. You're worried and upset about many things. 
You're freaking out about vaccines. You're worried about our kids and having to grow up in this context. You're worried about the public school system. You're worried about the economy. You're worried about your RRSP. You're worried about your marriage hanging on by a thread. You're worried about your past catching up to you. You're worried and upset about all the things. And then there's this one, like, just voice of Jesus. He says, you are worried and upset. You are troubled and anxious about many things. But one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen it. What she is doing is the one necessary thing. Beholding me is the one thing that is necessary. And Jesus brought me back to 2012 and how he led me and the journey he took me on, the journey he took our pastoral staff at the time on, and the journey that he took our whole church on. It was a journey in beholding Jesus. It was letting everything else go and just saying, I don't know what else to hang on to. I'm just, I'm just going to aim myself at you. And in the mystery of that simple decision of focus, God began to bring a work of renewal and life by which we stand here today. I mean, we are here as this large church, and God has done many great things and birthed ministries like CR that we continue to see fruit, but it comes back to this decision of focus to behold Jesus, that there's only ultimately in the Christian life and in the church life, in your life, there is one thing that is ultimately necessary. Behold him. Behold him. Like, just, just fight, fight to behold. I know, I know these are, these are tough questions, and this is a pressing situation, and you've got cancer, and you've got, you're worried about this, and you're worried about, just behold him. And somehow in the mystery of beholding him, everything else becomes aligned and life begins to happen in a way that we could have never manufactured on our own. Behold him. Sit down. Behold him. If you have come to the end of your capacity and you are struggling in anxiety, confusion, maybe some of you it's not anxiety, it's anger and angst. If you flip on your social media screen, do you get angry? You are lacking good answers. The invitation, I believe, of the Holy Spirit right now. It, it, God is reminding me and reminding us and calling us as a church to come back and behold him. To, to, to let us let go of our plans, to let go of our control, to let go of our striving, and to make this concerted effort of beholding Jesus. I believe this is what the Spirit of the living God is shouting to the church in this season, and he loves us enough to communicate it to us through our pain and dysfunction. I'll let you go through that if it brings you back to me. I'll let that come to waste if you re so that you realize that that's not Lord and Savior. There's only one thing necessary. Behold him. And that's the simple message I want us to step into in this season, not just today, but God is leading us into a time where we need to fight to fix our eyes on Jesus, to actually behold him and consider him every morning, noon, and night, day by day, not just Sunday, but Monday through Sunday, that our lives are oriented as him, with him as the focal point. Now, some of you are already saying, well, yeah, okay, that's, that's like, sounds like the churchy thing to say, but how, how does beholding Jesus actually provide solutions to my complex problems? Or, or how does beholding Jesus have power to deal with the insurmountable situations that I'm facing in my life? It seems like it's just this version of Christian denial. Nope, just Jesus, just Jesus. 
But Paul said to the Corinthians, and this is really, really what I, why I wanted to show you this. He said, I, when I came to you, I didn't come with my own wisdom and in my own authority. I came to you and I made a decision. I decided to push away my wisdom. If you know Paul, Paul was a wise dude. That guy was learned. Learned. He knew things. He could have gone toe-to-toe, and other times we find in the, in, the, in the New Testament he does go toe-to-toe with the smartest thinkers of the day. But he realized that Corinth was in this unique mess of confusion. The backstory on Corinth, I mean, some of, you, some of you people are like, if we could just go back to how it was in the early church, you haven't read Corinthians. They were the hottest of hot messes. I mean, they had this celebrity infatuation, like some of them were saying, we follow Apollos, and some were saying, we follow Paul, and some were saying, we follow Peter. They had problems with theology and doctrine. They were believing in Gnosticism and all kinds of false doctrine and winds of false doctrine. They were getting pulled away by false teaching and false prophets. They had problems of morality. There was incest going on, and there was licentiousness going on in their community. I mean, they had some serious problems. They had discipleship issues. They had church unity issues. They were divided on things. And Paul realized there's only one solution for a situation that complex, and that is simply Jesus. There's only one solution for something so complex, and that is simply Jesus. And he comes in and he doubles down on the simplicity of the gospel. And he says, look, we can sit here and we can talk about sexuality, and he does later on. We can talk about, you know, identity. We can talk about culture. We can talk about all those things. And the Bible does have the best answers for all of life's toughest questions. But God gave us the solution ultimately in the person of Jesus. That this is what he's saying, that Christ is the wisdom of God. You don't have to know all the, the, you don't have to study all the books of the world. You don't have to be a political scientist. You don't have to be a social scientist or economist. I have felt like I've needed to be an expert in everything in this season. Anybody else? Anybody else a low-grade epidemiologist yet? (laughs) Right? We got doctors here that are just like banging their heads against the wall with all you WebMDers. We don't have to know all these things. I know the one who knows. Christ is our wisdom. And we don't have to rest in our own power to change things because Christ is our power. Do you, do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying that any time you rely on your own strength, you will come to the end of it. But if you turn yourself and you fix your eyes and you behold Jesus, you find an infinite wisdom and an infinite power has already been given to us in him. So the job for us is to behold Jesus in all things. And this is what Paul was getting at. He said, I decided when I was with you. I made a decision not to rest on my own understanding, but to lean on him. I made a decision to not rest in my own righteousness, but to lean on him. I chose to lean on him. And in so doing, in some profound mystery as we just simply trust him and we just simply turn our affection and our attention and our obedience to him in some mystery things just start changing i know it's foolishness to some of you but he said that god did that on purpose to humble us and he right he one of my favorite new testament thinkers he said this in a commentary on corinthians he said the christian good news 
is all about God dying. It's crazy. It's this crazy story of God dying on a rubbish heap at the wrong end of the empire. It's all about God babbling nonsense to a room full of philosophers. It's all about the true God confronting the world, posturing power and prestige, and overthrowing it in order to set up his own kingdom, a kingdom in which the weak and the foolish find themselves just as welcome as the strong and the wise, if not more so. In other words, the gospel is the royal announcement that Jesus is Lord because God has raised him from the dead, is God's power for salvation to those who believe. When this announcement is made, people discover to their astonishment that things change. We got any believers here that have discovered to their astonishment when you simply and humbly resigned your intellect, resigned your right to be right, you resigned your past, and you just humbly and simply believed him at his word, things started changing. Have you experienced that before? I have. And in fact, when I look back over my life, the the times where real change comes have been the times where I've simply set aside my doing and my striving and my understanding and just pursued him. And when I pursued him, the craziest thing happened. Things just started changing. Lives change, right? Human hearts change. Situations change. New communities come into being, consisting of people grasped by the message, believing it's true despite everything. Falling in love with the God they find to be alive in this Jesus. Giving Jesus their supreme loyalty. See, Jesus has got to become our focus in this hour. Like, hear the Spirit say that to you right now. I'm not just saying it as a a pastor and prophetically over our church. I mean for you. If you want to know life and you want to navigate the complexities of this season, you do not need a doctorate. You don't need to go down another YouTube vortex. You don't need new relationships with other people that can give you something that, you, that they can't. You don't need a, a new marriage. You don't need to like, fix your past. You need to behold Jesus. And as you behold Jesus in some mystery, it's just, it's a mystery. You know, some people would call it magic. It's more than magic. It's supernatural. It's the power of God when you turn to him in faith and humbly resign your right to be right and your own control and your own self-righteousness and your doing and your understanding. You just say, I'm in need of you. And you turn yourself to him. Life starts changing. And Jesus reminded me of this. He reminded me of 2012, the posture and the position of my heart. My heart wasn't to grow a big church. My heart wasn't to build a, build a team and to, you know, to, to fix a culture. My heart was just, I am going to pursue Jesus with everything I have. And I'm going to call our church to do the same. And in some mystery, life and transformation and community and alignment, and power, and healing, and hope started happening. Nobody, I've been confronted by this so many times, and it's like, it took the last year and a half to kind of get me out of my own head. You know, there's not many churches that have the story like we do in Atlantic Canada, and so I get, I get pulled into rooms and asked, how did you do that all the time? And Over and over, I don't have satisfactory answers for other pastors that are trying to be effective too. It's like, man, we just kind of followed Jesus. (laughs) 
But you know what? Like, let me just confess for a minute. That we, we, we've actually made some good decisions, and in some mystery, God lets us get involved. But what happens in life and what happens in ministry and what happens in church is we get the cart before the horse. And we start focusing on the wheels and the machinery of the, thing, the vehicle instead of the power that drives it. And I wonder if we are in a season as a church as individuals, as families, where God is trying to snap us out of our stupor of our own self-sufficiency and call us back to behold him, like to fix our eyes on him, to fix our lives on him. I believe that's what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so we are going to step into a prolonged season where I'm just going to preach Jesus. And we're just going to talk about him. We're going to meditate on him. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to show us things about him we haven't seen yet. And I believe as we do that, as we just simply pursue him, not as a means to an end even, but because he's valuable. Because he is life. I've had that thought in my spirit many times over the last several months. There's this passage in the scripture in the Gospels, it records like Jesus, he gives this tough message and all these people start leaving. He said something about like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And everyone's like, eh, and they left. Except for the disciples. And Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, are you leaving too? And Peter responds, where else would we go? You have the words of life. And I wonder if the spirit in this season is not whispering in our spirit, behold Jesus, he is and he has the words of life. Stop looking to the government. Stop looking to your friends. Stop looking to your spouse. Stop looking to your children. Stop looking for a better policy and turn and behold Jesus. Really quick, I want to set this up, and I want to I just give you some insight as to what happens when you start to behold Jesus. There's five things, and we're going we're to nail it fast. But I believe God is calling us to turn from all of the things that are occupying our attention and our affection. What do you think about most right now? Just do inventory for a second. Like, what is occupying your mind most? Would you say you are beholding Jesus? Or are you beholding other things? This is an invitation to turn from finding solutions and finding sustenance and provision and power in other things. It's a decision, like Paul says, to know nothing while I was among you except Christ and him crucified. And that is the act of faith, believing that in that decision, power and life and transformation comes. So really quick, what happens when you turn and you behold Jesus. Here's number one. I want you to get, get a grip on these things. There's five things. I'm going to rip through them fast. It'll take 10 minutes. What happens when we behold Jesus? The first thing that happens when you turn your eyes, and I mean like your, your attention, your affection, your disposition, your life, intentions. Here's what happens. Salvation happens. 
You become reconciled with God. There's, there's not some journey you have to go on to get back to him. It's simply turning to him. That's what repentance is. It's to turn to him and to look and to say, there he is, like John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's turning your attention to him. And when you do that, that's when you receive salvation. When you turn to him and you say, there he is, that is salvation, that is hope, he is life, he is peace. When you turn to him, that is when you receive salvation. Not when you get your act together. Not when you pay off your debts. You know, how many people I meet out in public that know I'm a pastor and I say, hey, you know, I'm going to come to your church sometime, but if I came right now, you know, the roof would cave in. Get behind me, Satan. No, really. How many people believe the lie that salvation looks like me getting to God? That is not the gospel. The gospel is that God got to us, and we simply turn and face him and receive salvation by faith. That's the whole message. That's what it means. Salvation, we receive it. We are forgiven. When you turn to Jesus right now, when you turn to him and say, I see you, Jesus, I see you for who you are, you are forgiven, acquitted, saved from sin and death, having been given mercy and grace for ourselves and each other. Can I get a hallelujah? Here's why. Because salvation is a person. Salvation is a person. It's not a policy. It's not a procedure. It's not in a textbook. Salvation is in a person, and we must turn to him. This is what Jesus was saying when he spoke to Nicodemus. A lot of us miss verse 14 in John chapter 3. Many of you know the famous John 3, 16. I've been teaching my, my six-year-old Alex on the way to school. We've been learning how to memorize it. He loves the word perish for some reason. I'm a little concerned. <laughs> but a lot, of you, a lot of you miss. We miss verse 14 because we just quote verse 16. But verse 14 is a throwback to a story in the book of Exodus where they were getting killed and destroyed by venomous snakes. And God gave them a provision where Moses held a stick, a, a, a staff with a snake on it. And God said, if you just turn and you face the snake, the poison will not hurt you. And it was a foreshadowing of the salvation that Jesus was coming to do ultimately. So Jesus quotes it. He says, just as Moses was lifted up, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes, not behaves, who what? Who believes may have eternal life in him. Here's why. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Turn to Jesus and you are now aligned with salvation. And that's it. It's to turn and to trust by faith. It's to orient your life, to orient your mind and orient your perspective and orient your ambitions toward him. And as you do, you are standing in alignment with true and ultimate everlasting salvation. Can we get an amen? So some of you, you need saving right now. You need saving from sin. Just turn to Jesus. Look at him by faith. Some of you need saving from fear. Some of you need saving from your past. Some of you need saving from anxiety. Behold Jesus and receive it by faith. I love how foolish this sounds because I know it's true. Just simply behold Jesus. You ever go back and listen to the old Billy Graham crusades? 
in our, in our 21st century woke, we know more than you people mentality. You ever listen, like how simple it is? Just like, come, come get right with God. Come bow the knee before the king and receive salvation, the free gift of grace. Come receive. It's just a simple message. I love how simple God made it foolish on, pers- on purpose. And someone who's listening to me right now said, it can't be that simple. It's simple for you because it was hard for him. You turn to him and receive salvation. Number two, what happens when we behold Jesus? Navigation. I worked really hard to make these all rhyme. No, but I mean it though. <laughs> Illumination. Let me, here's what I really want to say. We, through the light of the truth of Jesus, beholding his glory and goodness, are guided by the Spirit through the complexities of the world, the snares of the enemy, and the troubles of this life. Here's why. Because truth is a person, and his name is, yes, I don't know how to navigate the vaccine issue. I don't know how to navigate the complexities of raising a kid in 21st century. But what I do know is if I endeavor to follow Jesus, he's going to guide me down the right path. That's the simple invitation. It's like day by day, I'm going to, your word, Jesus, you are a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I can't see very far, but I know you're going to light the next step. And that's what he does. That's what he does. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Either what Jesus says here is not true, or those of us who have found it to be extra and exceedingly dark, maybe we've taken our eyes off the light. Is that possible? Either Jesus is a liar, or our focus is off. We're not looking to the one who is light. We will never walk in darkness, but we will have the light of life. I love how C.S. Lewis says this. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but by it I see everything else. He lights up the world for me. Christ is my perspective. What do you think about vaccine? I'm not totally sure, but I'm going to think whatever Jesus thinks. And until he gives me wisdom, I'm just going to trust. Christ is my wisdom. Christ is my intellect. Christ is my understanding. Amen? That's the invitation. If you're in darkness right now, my my gut, my spirit is telling me the Holy Spirit is just saying, behold him. Turn to the light of the world, the one in whom darkness cannot overcome. There is no darkness that can overcome him. And how many of you have had some some inadequate lights be exposed in the last year and a half? Some artificial lights, your battery went out and you're shaking the thing like this isn't working anymore. Things that you thought were adequate, but then when it got a little darker, you realized this is pretty dim. We need a light that darkness cannot overcome and that is who Jesus is. In the light of darkness, in the light of suffering, in the light of complexity, we turn to Jesus who is Light, behold him, behold the light of the world, behold the light of the world. Number three, what happens when we behold Jesus? Liberation, transportation. I told you, I got the Asians going. We're set free. 
when we turn our eyes to Jesus and we focus our affection and our attentions and our intentions on Jesus, we turn our heart to him and our disposition to him, what happens is we find a freedom that cannot be bound by circumstance and situation. We are set free from the constraints of the world, from the constraints of the flesh, from the constraints of the devil, and we are transported into an eternal reality too big to be bound by the temporal. How many of you know Jesus is not stuck in time and space? He has overcome it. He holds it in his hand. And when we turn to him, we are set free in that reality. And here's why. Because freedom is a person and his name is, say it. Oh, say it with some conviction. His name is Jesus. Jesus is freedom. So if you're feeling bound, the solution is not pull harder. The solution is turn to Jesus who is freedom and see the chains fall. Has anybody found that in their life? Has anybody, I mean, we just had a testimony about celebrate recovery. That is the testimony about celebrate recovery. I turned myself toward him. I walked and I positioned myself to try to find power that can really set me free. And I found it in Jesus. And to the degree that I behold him is the degree that I'm free. Let me say that again. To the degree that you behold him is the degree that you're free. So if you're feeling bound, the solution, again, is not to to get stronger, to find better answers. The solution is to behold him more. Because we, I mean, you read your Bible, you, you see it all the time. You see Paul and Silas are in prison. They're not just in prison, but they're in the inner prison, in the dungeon, and their feet are in stocks, and their, their hands are in shackles, and yet they're praising God in the midst of that. Why? Because they're free men, even though they're bound. There is a freedom that COVID can't touch, y'all. There is a freedom that the economy can't touch. There is a freedom that your past can't catch up with. And his name is Jesus. And when we simply rest and behold in him, we rest in freedom. Jesus said this. He said, he who the Son sets free will be free indeed. He's the only one that can ultimately and truly set us free. And it doesn't matter what's happening in the natural. His ability to set us free is bigger than the bounds of the temporal. I mean, I saw that just a few weeks ago. I mean, we, we celebrated the, the homegoing of uh, Carl Augustine, a guy that goes to the Valley Campus, went to the Valley Campus and... Melanie and I got to spend some time with him and Kristen over his last month in this life. And I watched two things happen. I watched him come awake to a new life in Christ. And I watched his spirit begin to be set free even as his body was being bound with cancer. And here's what, here's what I know to be true. I watched it. I watched it. I saw fear increasingly dissipate from him. I saw the anxiety that I saw in him before he knew and, and gave himself to Jesus. I saw that anxiety continue to go down even as his health was deteriorating. God was setting him free in ways he'd never been free. Who the son sets free is really free. Have you been surprised by how unfree you have been Thinking you'd be free if you just got more Facebook likes? Ah, that's what I need. Or thinking you'd be free if you just kind of took a hard line on this or that? I, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Behold him, behold him, and the strongest chains of this world will start to fall off of you. 
Number four, I'm almost done. What happens when we behold Jesus? Transformation. Sanctification. You're like, he's going to run out of patience. I'm not. As we behold him, we become like him. This is the mystery. We become made new in his image. We're transformed from glory to ever-increasing glory. Not through our works, not through our efforts, not through our intelligence or our talents, but through our beholding him. As you behold him, you become like him. It's incredible. Because transformation and glory is a person, and his name is? Oh, yes, I feel faith rising. His name is Jesus. That's how you change. Everything else is behavior modification. Jesus once said, look, a branch disconnected from the vine, I mean, you can pretend to be bearing fruit, but you can't bear fruit. The only ones who bear real fruit are the ones that are connected. They are beholding him. He changes us. Here's what I know to be true. You become what you behold. Has anybody found that in life? You maybe not have thought about it before, but I guarantee your life right now represents that which you behold the most. You are no more, no less than than the object of your perspective. Maybe you behold money. Your life's going to look like it. Maybe you behold control. Your life is going to look like it. Maybe you behold intelligence. You want to be the smartest in the room. Your life is going to look like it. But when you start to simply behold Jesus, your life begins to look like him. And I look back over my life. I think of 2012. I think of seven years before that, I had my first major encounter with the Holy Spirit. The times where I have really been changed... I'm not saying like I've made some changes, like, you know, you're, like I'm overweight, I need to go to the, go to the gym, I'm going to make some changes. Like when Jesus changes you, you are changed in the inner parts of yourself. Like he actually changes your DNA. Like he, he rewrites you from the inside out. It's incredible. I, I'm not, I haven't arrived yet, but I'll tell you what, there are parts of me that are changed forever by him. Like I, that's just not me anymore. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. There are things that I used to struggle with that I don't struggle with anymore. And it hasn't happened because I got smarter or more powerful. It's happened to the degree that he has become the object of my affection. And if I want to be transformed, I don't need a self-help book. I don't need another Dr. Caroline Leaf share. If you know, you know. Some of you, some of you women evangelists on social media, I just put <laughs> I should put that away. (laughs) I need Jesus. And as I behold him, I get transformed into his image. This is what Paul is talking about later in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, we all with unveiled faces, we can come to him. There's no separation because of what he did. As we contemplate the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. As you behold him, you become like him. And listen, can we just, can I just preach this for a minute? There is nothing better on planet earth than being like Jesus. Can you imagine being like Jesus? Like get the stuffy flannel graph church crap that you learned out of your mind and realize, like imagine being someone full of grace and truth, endued with power, 
Having compassion in ways that people just cannot manufacture that kind of compassion. Having wisdom that is not of this world. Walking in an authority that no man can give or take. Opening doors that no man can shut. And closing doors that no man can open. We can be like Jesus. And listen, the world, creation, it says in Romans 8, is groaning that the sons of God would be revealed. There is a glory for us that, man, if we could just get our focus on Jesus, we would find ourselves transforming into a version of ourselves we never thought possible. We become like him. See, it's a myth. It's a myth that... In order to get to God, we need to become like him. That's, that's the opposite. God came to us so that we could be like him. As we behold him. Last, last thought. What happens when we behold Jesus? Evangelization. Mobilization. That's it. Count them. Ten Asians. As we behold him and we see his beauty and we receive his grace, here's what happens. We can't help but talk about him. We want to tell the whole world the good news that Jesus saves because good news is a person, and his name is? His name is Jesus. We, you can't shut up about what you care about most. It's involuntary. And so if a church or Christians are struggling to share their faith, the answer is not to guilt ourselves into sharing our faith more. The solution is behold Jesus because clearly I don't value him enough to talk about. I want to talk about the Blue Jays' hot streak. Or I want to talk about this or that. But you will talk about that which you behold. And when the church begins to behold Jesus, that's when I, be I believe revival will happen. It will be involuntary. As we fight to behold him, as we fight to remain in him and to make him our simple pursuit and our simple perspective, as we do that, we will be transformed and we won't be able to stop talking about what Jesus has done to us and for us and through us. It will be involuntary. Let him who has ears, let him hear. The church beholding Jesus will bring, bring renewal in the church and revival to the region. No more, no less. As the church endeavors to seek his face, as we behold Jesus, it will renew us and it will pour out into the region in revival. I've been thinking a lot lately about history and cycles and patterns and the Lord kind of brought me back to, to be thinking about like the 1960s. And I, I wasn't there. But in the 1960s, and many of you in our church and some of you at West and online, you'll remember this. You were, you're old enough to remember this. But in the 1960s, it wasn't so different than the times we are currently in. In the 1960s, there were major global conflicts. This was the, 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 the beginning of the Cold War. It was kind of starting to really heat up. Cold War was heating up. Anyway. There was, there was the space race that was going on. I mean, everyone's trying to show who the supreme country was. There's a space race happening right now, actually, except it's not countries, it's billionaires. It's fun. There is social, social unrest was, was, was happening. As the Vietnam War was beginning to unfold, and you had a lot of people that were very much against it, and some people that were very much for it. Some of you even remember 
the Vietnam War was going, and then you saw these social movements happening. You saw women's rights begin to kind of come front and center. This isn't new, y'all. Some of you who were born, you know, after 1990, this stuff has happened before. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. You saw people protesting for their rights, women's rights taking front and center. You saw women's liberation movements. You saw, you saw the first gay pride marches begin to happen in the, in the late 60s. And then, of course, we, we know the story of the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King and the major movement for the freedom and equality of black people in the United States. You, you saw that happen. It took the world by storm. I mean, it was tense times. In fact, you talk to somebody who lived through the 60s, they'll say, man, I'm sorry, 2020 is like lightweight compared to the 60s. I mean, presidents were assassinated. Like, it was, it was intense, intense stuff. You saw riots frequently. And then you saw what happened at the end of the 60s. A whole generation of young people decided, you know what, I don't want anything to do with the establishment. I don't like the results. I don't want your wars. I don't want your policies. I don't want your government. I don't want it. And so they, they rejected it, and the whole movement be- began, the hippie movement. We got any hippies here? You're like, no. <laughs> the hippie movement started, and these people just, they went completely in the other direction. We're like, I don't like your control. I don't like your, your nice, neat, neat, and tidy lines. It's not that simple, so I'm just going to give myself to whatever I want. And you saw the sexual revolution begin. You saw drugs really take precedent. You saw like things like Woodstock and major movements begin to happen where literally millions of young people were kind of getting caught up in this. Man, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? But then something crazy happened. In the late 60s, a group of young people began to just get fed up with the hippie movement. They said, you know what? I've tried the establishment and I've tried to live as though I'm God and I'm not happy with either one. And they began to find Jesus and this thing called the Jesus movement began. And you started to see millions of young people just simply turn and behold him. Like he's the answer. He's the high that I need. He's the direction that I've been looking for. He's the authoritative voice and the freedom that I long for. And you saw a whole generation of young people turn, like millions of them, turn to Jesus. This is a picture of baptisms happening in Southern California. Like there was no denomination doing it. Like most of you can't even name the names of the people that were at the front of it. Why? Because Jesus was the point, not some guy's ministry. And it was this wild movement of renewal that happened. And you saw all these kids just flock to Jesus. One of the largest public gatherings ever to happen in United States history was the Jesus movement. Just young people saying, we just want Jesus. The Jesus movement is arguably the largest revival to ever hit North America. This happened in the late 60s, early 70s, and and it poured over into the church. And if you talk to any pastor in any evangelical denomination, whether they're Baptist and cessationist, or they're the craziest, wildest, charismatics you ever met, all of them will say the most fruitful time we ever experienced was through the 70s and into the early 80s. And that was the overflow of the Jesus movement. We need another one. 
we need another one, don't we? Like, no, no, just... I just sense the Spirit. The Spirit is wanting so bad, so bad to just, to just pull a generation back to Himself. But the church has to hear the call. I believe the invitation of the hour is that the Spirit is saying, turn, turn to Jesus. And He's looking for a church who will say, you can... You can have the whole world. You can have your wars. You can have your drugs. You can have your right to be right. You can have your sociology and your economics. You can have all of it, but just give me Jesus. That's what the Spirit's doing in this hour. He's looking for a people who will just simply behold Him. Jesus said in... uh, the beginning of the Gospels in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was the one that came out, and he had one simple message, and it was this, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He will baptize you with fire. Just behold him. And Jesus was talking about him. And Jesus made this invitation. He said, Come to me, all ye who are weary, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, me, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your weary souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is a call to behold him. And I don't know where you're all at, I don't need to know the invitation is the same for every single one of us. Turn away from the things that are occupying your mind and your attention and turn yourself to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me for for beholding things above you. I'm coming back to you. I'm turning. That's what repentance is. It's to turn and to look again. That's repentance. And I believe God is wanting us to realign ourselves in this hour to hear the the call of John, even the Spirit of God saying, behold the Lamb, behold the Lamb, behold the Lamb, behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. This is a call to turn away from idols and distractions and fear and to turn toward Him, to decide to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Do you feel that invitation? Do you feel the Spirit calling? Just, just put the things aside and say, Jesus, be thou my vision. Be thou my wisdom. Be thou my success. Be thou my future. Be thou my present. Be thou my past. Be my everything. And as we do that, life comes. Because life is a person. His name is, yeah, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I want to pray over you today. Wes, everybody, maybe even if you're in your own, uh, your own home, I just feel like this is a holy moment. And I feel like some of you are hearing what the Spirit is saying to the church, and you know the things that you've been listening to more and focusing on more, and you hear Jesus just say, just come back to me. Let the past be in the past. Some of you are d- dealing with condemnation. Let the past be in the past. Jesus is 
blood is sufficient to cover you from all unrighteousness? Let the complexities of the present be complex and simply turn and trust Jesus and know the one who holds your future. Some of you know you've kind of fallen away. Maybe you've walked away. Jesus, you would say, has not had supremacy in my heart. And I believe right now God is just inviting us to just turn to him and cry out and say, God, take your place. That's the simple prayer. Jesus, take your place in my life. Take your rightful place. I'm getting COVID out of here. I'm getting my fears and my anxieties and my bondage and my addiction out of here. You take your place. Yeah, and so, Father, we just pray right now. Would you take your place in our hearts, Jesus? We turn our eyes to you. We fix our eyes on you. Help us to do that. Take your rightful place, Lord. Take your rightful place. Lord, we just tear down idols right now. We tear down the idols of secularism and humanism and human ideologies and the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. We tear it down and we say, none but Jesus. Lord, we we tear down our, our abilities and our works and our striving and we say none but Jesus. And Lord, for the one that's the farthest away today, Lord, thank you that as we turn to you, you are there receiving us as the Father receives the Son. Lord, we say take, just, just invite him, take your place again in my life, King Jesus. Help me behold you. And now, Lord, we pray. Take your place in the church, Lord Jesus. Lord, we remove our plans. We remove our products and our our, our programs. We remove our projections and our, our, our abilities. Lord, we remove, God, forgive me, forgive us for times where we've just, we've leaned on human wisdom with a Jesus sticker on it. Be thou our wisdom, Lord. Be thou our power. We pray this. Holy Spirit, I ask right now for everyone who is listening, I ask for a prolonged season of beholding Jesus and that, God, you would infatuate us with your beauty. You would intimidate us with your power and the most fearsome and beautiful way, you would undo us and rebuild us again. So Lord, right now I release in Jesus' name a prolonged season of beholding you. Lord, would we see you in our dreams? Would we wake up and would you be our first thought? Would we take you to work? Would we, would we do it as we sit down as a, as a family with a meal and just say, thank you, Jesus? Would we put you front and center in everything? God, just release right now over King's Church for as much as you've given me authority here. I release in Jesus' name a prolonged season of beholding Jesus. Capture our hearts again, Lord and we pray this in his name in the name that is above every name King Jesus and all God's people said